You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. As more organizations are affected by the Acelion FDA compromise, authorities issue some recommendations for risk mitigation. Ocean Lotus is back and active against Vietnamese domestic targets. Lazy Scripter is fishing with COVID and air travel lures. Solar Winds hearings include threat information, exculpation, and calls for more liability protection. Turkey Dog is after bank accounts. Joe Kerrigan ponders the ease with which new security flaws are discovered. Rick Howard speaks with our guest Michael Dick from C2A Security on automotive security. And some new ICS threat groups are identified. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, February 24th, 2021. Canadian aircraft manufacturer Bombardier yesterday disclosed that it had suffered a limited data breach accomplished through a third-party file-sharing application. Some personal and other confidential information relating to employees, customers, and suppliers was compromised, the company said. Bombardier didn't identify the third-party application through which the breach was accomplished, but others have called it Excellion's FTA. ZDNet and The Register both report that the Klopp ransomware gang posted what appear to be Bombardier design documents on its leak site. A joint advisory from authorities in Australia, New Zealand, Singapore, the UK, and the US outlines the risks of the Excellion FTA compromise and recommends risk mitigation measures. The alert, which is hosted on CISA's site, recommends that FTA users temporarily block Internet access to and from any systems that host the software, check for evidence of malicious activity, and especially for the indicators of compromise included in the alert, consider auditing FTA user accounts for unauthorized changes, reset security tokens on the system, and upgrade to the latest version of the Excellion product. FTA is going to reach its end of life at the end of April, CISA and its partners point out that migrating away from FTA before it gets to that point would be a good idea. Amnesty International reports that Vietnam's Ocean Lotus Cyber Intelligence Group 
is surveilling dissidents in a renewed spyware campaign. The spyware comes in Windows, Android, and macOS variants, and Amnesty's security lab says the tool allows to fully monitor a compromised system, including reading and writing files or launching other malicious programs. Researchers at security firm Malwarebytes are tracking a new threat actor they're calling Lazy Scripter that's targeting airlines and job seekers with malware-laden phishing documents. In a report released this morning, Malwarebytes says the threat actor is using the Octopus and Coedic rats, as well as Luminosity Link, RMS, Quasar, NJRAT, and Remcos against its targets. They're treating the group provisionally as a new player, despite some similarities between its tactics, techniques, and procedures and those used by other groups. Lazy Scripter uses GitHub to host its malware. The group deleted two of its GitHub accounts in January and then created a new one on Groundhog's Day, February 2nd. Lazy Scripter prefers to embed its malicious executables in icons purported to be PDF, Excel, or Word files as opposed to using malicious Office macros. The threat actor seems to have begun its operations in August of 2018. It began by phishing people seeking to immigrate to Canada by offering them access to job-seeking programs. That continued until January of 2020, when the fish bait changed to the shinier lure of COVID-19 themes. Most recently, this past November, the group began to target the International Air Transport Association and those airlines that use BSP-Link software to access IATA's billing and settlement plan. That particular interest may be an enduring one. Malwarebytes says this particular finding indicates that this actor is constantly updating its tool sets to target new systems developed by IATA. So who exactly is Lazy Scripter? Russia's APT-28 and Iran's Muddy Water espionage groups are both known to have used the Coatic Trojan, but in itself such circumstantial evidence is less than dispositive. The researchers believe the differences between the two groups are significant enough to warrant Lazy Scripter being tracked as a new threat actor, and they don't attribute the activity to any particular nation-state. For one thing, Lazy Scripter relies on a number of open-source tools, while Muddy Water has shown a strong preference for bespoke malware. Yesterday's hearings before the U.S. Senate Select Committee on Intelligence outlined the scope of the SolarWinds hack. Reuters characterizes the testimony of the four companies who appeared, SolarWinds, Microsoft, FireEye, and CrowdStrike, as apologetic for their handling of the incursion, Seeking Alpha reports that CrowdStrike singled out Microsoft Windows' antiquated authentication architecture as enabling the cyberespionage campaign. According to MarketWatch, Microsoft itself reiterated its belief that the Russian operation involved over a thousand software engineers. NextGov says SolarWinds recommends more liability protection, suggesting that it found information sharing difficult because companies fear being exposed to litigation and that incident response would have proceeded more happily and effectively without fear that collaboration with other organizations might get them sued. It's worth noting, as others have pointed out, that information sharing has for some time been protected by the Safety Act, and especially the Cybersecurity Information Sharing Act of 2015. 
There's certainly litigation over data breaches, and SolarWinds no doubt has considerable exposure, but it's not unclear how information sharing especially contributes to the famous rapacity of the plaintiff's bar. RiskIQ reports on the activities of Turkey Dog, a criminal operation that's targeting Turkish-speaking victims with the Cerberus and Anubis banking trojans. Turkey Dog's interests are obvious. It's into fraud and banking account looting. ICS security shop Dragos this morning released its annual report on industrial control system security. Among its general conclusions is that there's still only limited visibility into industrial control systems and that detection, triage, and incident response remain difficult to execute and especially difficult to scale. One of their specific findings has attracted attention. Dragos analysts have identified four distinct new ICS activity groups that are principally interested in the energy and manufacturing sectors. They call these groups camasite, stibnite, talonite, and vanadinite. Of these, camasite is particularly interesting. It's been working with the GRU's sandworm unit against electrical power grids. Camasite seems to have served as an access team for its GRU colleagues. And finally, speaking of ICS security, CISA yesterday issued three advisories for industrial control systems, one addressing Rockwell automation systems, two for systems from Advantech. Those advisories come with remediations. If you operate those systems, by all means, take a look. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. The CyberWire's own chief security officer, Rick Howard, 
has been talking to experts about automotive security in terms of the near future of 5G and autonomous cars. Here's Rick. Michael Dick is the CEO of C2A Security, an Israeli company that provides the automotive industry with end-to-end in-vehicle cybersecurity protection. Hi, this is Michael Dick speaking. I asked him about the history of cybersecurity in the automotive industry. Traditionally, what's happened is that the cars, cars you know, were designed um, on technology that was available 40 years ago. For, you know, CAN bus technology, for example, is one of the networks that runs in vehicles today. CAN bus was developed, was invented by Bosch 40 years ago. Uh, they never thought in those days about security and so much software and all this type of stuff. And as time has gone on, they've um, added on more computers. Any new feature that comes into the vehicle, they add another computer. Today in a car, they call them ECUs, electronic control units. Like a high-end vehicle, you might have 200 ECUs, 200 computers in the vehicle. Because every new feature is a new computer that they put in to be able to Uh, control that new feature. As with many business sectors, the automobile industry layered on new features and enhancements incrementally. You know, it's becoming patch on patch on patch. It's like, you know, in in the software developers will call it spaghetti code. There's so many wires and computers and uh, it's becoming impossible for them, for the car manufacturers and generally for the industry to manage this on this way. You know, you can't take... um, an old architecture and just keep on patching it for more and more and more features. Eventually, it just becomes, you can't manage it anymore. But Michael does say that there has been some movement in a new direction. So there's a lot of discussions now and developments on new architectures for vehicles. Zonal type, zonal type architecture, uh, much fewer ECUs, much stronger computers running multiple things in the vehicle. But what's clear is that our very notion of just what a car is will fundamentally change. Instead of it being a mechanical device dependent on the human to control it in some analog fashion, it is moving towards becoming a completely digital software platform on wheels with high-end entertainment systems and a sensor package that is equivalent to a current-day F-35 jet fighter. Yeah, Uh, I've heard some people say that it's a mobile phone on wheels, but... um... (laughs) But I think as time goes on, the vehicle is becoming less and less mechanical. From a software perspective, obviously, it's becoming more and more complicated, and it's becoming like a software-defined vehicle. In terms of security, we are just starting to see the automobile industry begin to grapple with the same problems that their traditional and stationary enterprise counterparts have been wrestling with for 25 years. You know, you'll have, for example, firewalls in big businesses, and um, it's just uh, goes without say that you'll have uh, some type of a configuration system where you'll be able to, you know, you've got a new user, you want to open a port, you need to uh, do a reconfiguration because there's some security uh, violation, whatever it is. These automatic configurators will allow you to do that and uh, to do, um, you know, to deploy the software to the endpoints that are needed, etc., all automatically. We're going to have to do the same thing for vehicles. They're going to become, you know, sophisticated software on wheels. We're seeing companies that are offering the um, automotive uh, ecosystem, uh, as you described, they're offering services. They say, oh, we can run this for you. 
we can put a big team together that will be able to um, configure everything and make sure that everything's safe on an ongoing basis, etc. Which is, the car manufacturers are not used to this. They don't have departments that are doing this. They don't have tens of people that are doing this. Uh, they're used to having one. And you all thought managing and securing cloud environments was hard. Doing it with a fleet of moving vehicles adds a nice little wrinkle to this already complex job of securing things and still allowing them to be useful. As Sir Austin Chamberlain said in 1936, describing a Chinese curse that he totally just made up, may you live in interesting times. Indeed, sir. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And joining me once again is Joe Kerrigan. He's from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute, also my co-host on the Hacking Humans podcast. Hello, Joe. Hi, Dave. How are you? Uh, doing well, thanks. So there's an interesting article came by from the MIT Technology Review, mm-hmm. uh, written by Patrick Howell O'Neill, and it's titled, Google Says It's Too Easy for Hackers to Find New Security Flaws. What's going on here, Joe? Well, the uh, the article sounds like they're complaining about how easy it is for hackers because uh, of tools or something, but it actually isn't that at all. It's actually because of development practices. Uh, and they talked to Maddie Stone, who works at Google's Project Zero, and, and they're talking about – she's talking about some vulnerabilities that were discovered in uh, in Internet Explorer and how these vulnerabilities were discovered. Uh, they were all zero-day vulnerabilities, but the first one was discovered in September of 2019. Uh, and once that one was patched, there were subsequent discoveries in November of that, of that year, January and April of the following years, and at least – five zero-day vulnerabilities being exploited from the same bug class in short order. Hmm. Um, And further down in the article, there's a quote from a man named John Simpson who works at Trend Micro who says, in the worst case, a couple of zero days that I discovered were an issue of a vendor fixing something on one line of code and literally on the next line of code had the exact same type of vulnerability and they didn't bother to fix it. Hmm. So, what we're seeing here is that these uh, is people write code, right? And and those people have coding practices. So if you're doing something in code and you are doing it wrong, chances are that's a skill error, right? Uh, a defect in skill, not necessarily a defect in in coding. So if that if that coder continues to write that way, that error is going to exist all over that application. It's not hmm. just going to be in one place. And that's that's kind of the crux of this article. Uh, the article also focuses on patching these vulnerabilities. Simpson from Trend Micro says we can, you know, we can talk to her blue in the face, but if they're not, if they're not doing 
the patch management, the patch updates properly, if they're just going in and fixing the one bug and not looking or doing a code audit for all the other bugs that might be in there, uh, they're never going to find them. I think the problem is is multi-layered here. First off, the development problem is what is 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 the root of this. Uh, you know, there are studies out there that show when you have a defect in code, the cheapest time to fix that is before you start doing integration testing. Hmm. And software is so complex these days. I mean, software so is many, remarkably complex. And so not many only, dependencies. Yeah, exactly. Not only is it complex, but we're we build software. And we rely on tons of other libraries that we don't control as well. Yeah, I mean these libraries are like uh, like Lego blocks, you know, for right. putting together your 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 software. Um, and it makes total sense to to do to use them. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I've seen people say it's impractical to do it any other way at this point. Um, but with that convenience comes certain vulnerabilities. Well, that that's an excellent point, Dave. Uh, there there really is no way to build a large software program now from the ground up. I mean, I guess you can, uh, but it is very expensive and it's a lot mm-hmm. faster and cheaper to use the libraries that are already existing. Yeah. Yeah. What, what, what are they, what do they get at here in this article in terms of uh, mitigation or solutions to this issue? Any, any suggestions that come out? Uh, Dave, actually at the end of the article, they talk about um, Apple who had uh, some zero days in one of their iMessage phones. And instead of narrowly approaching the specific vulnerability, the company went into the uh, the message of uh, the guts of iMessage, they say. Uh, so essentially, it sounds like they did like a full code review of the project to address mm-hmm. these fundamental structural problems that that people were exploiting. That's probably what has to happen for these these projects that are vulnerable particularly with Internet Explorer. You know, Microsoft, this was a problem that Microsoft had back in the 90s and the early 2000s, is that they would they were not really regarded as a, a company that was uh, good at security. Right. Uh, I, I think that's changed. I think Microsoft does a much better job now. Uh, but still, they, they still have that holdover from the Internet Explorer, which was just uh, never a really good browser, but it had a huge market share. Yeah. Yeah, but comparing uh, Internet Explorer to Apple's iMessage is not really a, a fair con- comparison. You're comparing apples to Microsoft's here. Um, it's <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a pretty good joke. Yeah, feel free to use that one. Um, it's <laughs> iMessage is probably a very small code base compared to Internet Explorer. Internet Explorer is originally based on Mozilla, which was like Microsoft didn't own that to to start with, and and it's a large complicated program as opposed to a, a simple program that just sends you messages and does end-to-end encryption. Um, and, and maybe that's the way we should go in the future is we don't build these large monolithic programs anymore. We build small programs that do little things for us and the users just collect these small programs and hopefully the small programs are more secure. Mm-hmm. And give them the ability to maybe interact with each other in a secure way. Yeah, absolutely. Like uh, yeah. much like Linux, uh, the 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 whole Nix architecture, what they call Taco Bell programming, you know, where mm-hmm. you you essentially use the operating system and all the operating system tools to build functionality that you would have to write code for in other operating systems. Right, right. You have, you have a limited set of ingredients, but. With those, you can make many, many different delicious food items. Exactly, yes. <laughs> right. All right. Well, again, the article's from the MIT Technology Review. It's titled, Google Says It's Too Easy for Hackers to Find New Security Flaws. Joe Kerrigan, thanks for joining us. It's my pleasure, Dave. 
And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Chocolate, caramel, and a surprising cookie crunch. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Ivan, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.